It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Reds fans? My name is Jeff Carr, and you are Locked On Reds. And here we go. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for joining me here on the Locked On Reds podcast here on a phone in Friday. We've got a lot to get to, so real quick. Make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. If you have not subscribed, do it right now. Also, find us on Twitter at LockedOnReds and at Jeff Carr with three Fs. And look up the Locked On Reds line. Put it in your phone, 513-549-0159. Give me a call. Leave me a voicemail, question, concern, rant, whatever you got. Also, and I just found this out today because I had a listener do this. We receive text messages. So if you got something, text it instead of call it, and you could do that too. So 513-549-0159. Real quick, Reds won 2-1 on Thursday, complete opposite of Wednesday night when they got blown out. They held the Cardinals to just two hits in one run. Sonny Gray, masterful. He helped the Reds combine to strike out 15 Cardinals. He had 10 himself in just five innings of work. And we're going to expound on that on Monday. I've got a lot to get to with Stephen Offenbaker. We had a really awesome discussion, and it's centered around some guys who could be let go, some guys who could be non-tendered this season to make room for what's going to be a very exciting offseason. And I want to jump right into that. We kind of play like a good cop, bad cop sort of thing. It's, it's a lot of fun. think you're going to enjoy it quite a bit. Real quick, though, going to take a going to put the break in now so that the conversation is unbroken real quick want to take a look around the locked on podcasting network locked on nfl is on fire last week it was one of the most listened to nfl podcasting shows with the expert analysis of former nfl scout matt williamson and hosted by brian peacock locked on nfl is your daily national podcast on all things national football league with Matt's unique take on the game. Follow Locked On NFL on your favorite podcast provider. Support for today's show comes from Manscaped. Manscaped's the number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. You may have seen Manscaped on Shark Tank and Men's Journal named the Lawnmower 2.0 as one of the best tools in men's grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with promo code LOCKED on at manscaped.com that is locked on at manscaped.com fantasy football players make sure you listen to Vinny Iyer and the Locked On Fantasy Football Podcast Vinny gives you the edge with over 20 years covering fantasy football don't listen to the same stuff as everyone else because then you are the same as everyone else. Get the edge from Vinny, and that will put you ahead on draft day as well as put you ahead all season long. Locked on fantasy football on your favorite podcasting provider. For today's Phone in Friday, I have 
the host of the Reds Alert podcast and the man hailing from the place you wish you could be right now, Stephen Offenbaker is here with me to talk Reds. Steve, how you doing, man? Aloha. How you doing? Good to be here. Aloha. Always, always good. A, a lot, uh, a lot better today than I was last night. That's for sure. We're we're actually recording this on Thursday, so uh, when I mean last night, I mean Wednesday night and what the Reds did there. But let's talk about something fun. Let's talk about, I've got a couple of guys, and this really stems from a post that I wrote over at Red Leg Nation on Thursday, uh, taking a look at what's coming off the books, what could come off the books for the Reds this offseason, because that's one of the points that we've been making as to how much optimism you should have for 2020, and that is the flexibility that the front office will have to make moves. With the payroll. And these four guys, three of them are candidates to be non-tendered. One of them is an out-and-out free agent. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at each one of these four players and we're going to give reasons why they should go and reasons why they should stay. And the first one, this guy is going to, you know, we're going for shock value here. I'm I'm just, we're going to get people all riled up from the get-go. Anthony D. Sclafani, and real quick, I'll edit this part out. I forgot where we landed. Am I defending I'm, him or I'm I'm for keeping D. Sclafani. You're for keeping him. Okay, I'm for, okay. So right out of the gate, Anthony D. Sclafani, tell me why the Reds should keep him. Well, first thing you have to understand with D. Sclafani is even though he's been a little bit streaky, you know he's basically a league average fifth starter his era plus is 102 you know he's sitting at 451 era for the season in 23 games started he's pitched 117 innings he's been reliable he's run out there every time it was his turn in the rotation and a league average fifth starter is a good pitcher 102 era plus is slightly above league average that's a guy that you want to keep around and the fact of the matter is we have him under team control we don't have to negotiate with him to keep him next season and with the uncertainty surrounding Alex Wood and what we've demonstrated this season is you can never have enough pitching. So there, it makes zero sense to me to, to non-tender this guy and let him walk for free when, when he's an above average player. Here's my thought on D. Sclafani because like you said, he's a league average guy. And it was actually something that I looked at as well is that, you know, you, a low-cost, league-average fifth starter, I think just about every team in the league would kill for that. The thing with him is, though, because he's arbitration-eligible, he's going to get a raise. Now, what that raise may look like, I'm not real sure, but you could almost see his salary doubling. Right now, it's just a little bit over $2 million. And if you're talking about a 4 or $5 million guy at the back end of your rotation, that's not horrible, but... That's four or five million dollars that you're spending on your fifth starter. And my argument against Di Sclafani is not necessarily because of his own performance, but because I believe you have that in Lucas Sims. I think that they could install Lucas Sims as the fifth starter, and especially under the tutelage of Derek Johnson, he could be right there on the same level with Anthony Di Sclafani, making about four to five million dollars less than Anthony DiSclafani. And this is more about the dollars and cents and, and all that good stuff. And, and Lucas Sims is also going through arbitration, so he might make a little bit more too, but I don't think it's going to be anywhere near 
what di- what Disco is going to pull down. So I think that the reason for not necessarily cutting bait on him, but replacing him with a more cost-effective option is because you want to move that money when you use it elsewhere to get a bigger bat, to get more bullpen help or something like that. I think for me, Jeff, if if the decision is made that the rotation needs to go a different way and, and Di Scalfani's not your guy, and and if the dollars matter and they shouldn't, what he's making is peanuts and baseball money. But if all of those things come to fruition, and and Lucas Simpson is an interesting case, you know his ERA plus is one hundred three, so just you know one tick above Di Scalfani. But if that's the direction you go, you still can absolutely not let Di Scalfani be non tendered and walk. It has to be a trade. There has to be an off season deal or an early season deal next year in twenty twenty. But letting him walk for free would be criminal. Now. We will move on to our next guy. Next guy, we actually talked about a little bit, and it's going to pull at the heartstrings of some Reds fans. If they if they've already have seen some heartstrings be pulled this year with Yasiel Puig and Scooter Jeanette, but we're going to pull on them again. Tell me why the Reds should not keep Derek Dietrich. Well, the the short answer is there's not going to be room for Derek Dietrich. Something's got to give in the amount of guys that play five different positions, uh, eventually you run out of positions. And I think that's what's happening with, with Dietrich uh, in the coming offseason. Uh, while he has been feel good, he has hit 19 home runs. It, the fact is, following his outburst where he did pick up the team and carry it, he really has been exposed as the utility guy that he is. And there's much younger, cheaper options in this system that really need to be getting playing time. And for those reasons, I let Derek Dietrich go. I think I think you non-tender him at the end of the year. And then if circumstances play out right, maybe you try and bring him back to spring training on a similar deal as to what he got this year, a, a minor league deal with a, a major league option. But the the fact of the matter is, between the pickup of uh, Freddie Galvis and the fact that I think Josh Van Meter should be playing every day at second base, I I think there's just not room for for Dietrich, especially if it comes down to really being a choice between Dietrich and Peraza. I understand that looking at Dietrich because, especially with the way that the Reds have approached using roster spots, they would rather hold and and I think this is not just a Reds thing this is a league wide thing they would rather have more pitchers available to them than bench players and like you said you've already got a glut of guys who can play multiple spots like Peraza like Kyle Farmer I mean heck Kyle Farmer pitched and he pitched a perfect inning well a scoreless inning not a perfect inning but 1.1 1. 1, an inning it, and a third Exactly, and as I've seen on on the Twitter.com, he has a FIP of 3.2, so he's pretty good. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but with that being said, I feel like he is a guy that you want on your bench because you can bring him in in a situation where you need a hit, where you need some RBIs. He is the opposite when it comes to batting of Jose Iglesias. Jose Iglesias actually has a really good batting average, and not so good OPS plus. Derek Dietrich is completely opposite. He's batting 207 this year in 222 at bats. His OPS plus is actually 117, which means he's 17% better than a league average hitter. 
A lot of that stems from the home run streak that he had early on in the season. He set a career high for home runs, and he did it in less than half of the at-bats he ever had in his career best year for at-bats. Let me... I might have confused myself with that saying. Basically, he he's hit more home runs this year, and he's done it in less at-bats than he ever has in any other season that he's played. So that that's something that I think they can build on, and they can get him back healthy, and he would be a great bat off of the bench for them. And I don't know. I mean, I know he's due for a raise through arbitration, but at the same time, I think it's not going to be a crazy amount. I don't even think he'll be making as much as Freddie Galvis when when the dust settles through our arbitration. So I think he will be at least a little bit worth it. But like I, like I said, it definitely does play into the whole notion of how many pitchers do, the, do they want to keep because as much as they've used the bullpen this year and we see... And it's funny because I've seen both sides of the coin on this and my mind is like way ahead of where I'm talking right now, but when it comes to the bullpen argument of have they overused them, have they not overused them, the numbers say they haven't overused them, but I think you can pretty well tell by the performances on the field. These relievers are better than their numbers have been as of late. It's just because they've been used so much this season, and I think that you'll see more and more teams focus their bench on bullpen help. Do the new roster rules go into effect next season are we going to 26 active with 13 13 pitcher cap is that happening i was actually just about i was trying to google that while i talked and i'm not very good at googling and talking at the same time let's see here we can cut this all out Oh, okay. Yeah, it does. Um, yep, for twenty twenty, it does increase to twenty six. And so, and there's a there's a a thirteen player cap on pitchers, and then also that new uh, dual role designator comes into effect as well that you could see being used on a Michael Lorenzen type player very easily, especially with. Um, I mean, seeing him play in the outfield the last couple of blowout losses that they've had, I think they're definitely going to tag him as a two-way guy. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but I think that you want to have a guy like Derek Dietrich on your bench to come off and get a hit whenever you need to. You know, I think the thing with Dietrich is it comes down to uh, strategic long-term planning, uh, much like it was in the case of Dietrich versus Jeanette. And what ultimately won out there was the fact that, you know, you were basically dealing with roughly the same player uh, abilities production-wise over a, a long sam- uh, sample size. And Dietrich had team control. Jeanette did not. And Dietrich was $2 million. Scooter was 10 So in that instance, I think that's why Dietrich won out over Jeanette. And I think those same forces will be at play when it comes to a decision on Dietrich. It will be... Uh, is there a younger guy that we control cheaper, longer, that can give us the same or better? And I think if you look around the red system, the answer to that is yes. There is a younger guy that can do the same thing or better for cheaper. So ultimately, I think that's what's going to cost Dietrich his job. Because like as we talked about, everybody loves this, having this guy around. He's entertaining. He's fun. 
uh, teammates seem to enjoy having him on the team. But, you know, ultimately there's there's going to be a limited number of spots for a limited number of players. And I think that Dietrich loses out in the end. Let's move on to our next guy. And this this one um, may be interesting because it would almost be punting on the deal that saw, I think, was it the, uh... oh, never mind. I got all tongue-tied on there. I got all. <clears throat> <laughs> Let's move on to the next guy. We're going to talk about why Steve should the Reds keep Jose Peraza. Oh, my goodness. This is probably one of the more frustrating players this year and, and one of the more frustrating players over the last several years. You know, he, in 2018, was one of the bright spots in an otherwise horrid season. Uh, he, he hit 288, 326, 416, uh, really made it seem that he was a viable long-term answer at the shortstop position. And then for whatever reason, whether it was the uncertainty uh, surrounding where he was going to play, uh, you know, remember that up until the last week of spring training, he was the shortstop, but then the Scooter Jeanette injury occurred, and suddenly he's the second baseman with Jose Iglesias playing shortstop. Then Iglesias comes in and and really surpasses everybody's expectations, and I think that puts pressure on Peraza. So I don't know what went into the fact that he, he caved this year. But the reason that you don't give up on this guy and you keep him over, say, a Derek Dietrich, is the fact that he's just 25 years old. He's the same age as Nick Senzel, and he has five years of major league playing time already underneath his belt. Now, does that mean, well, he should be further along than he is? Well, maybe it does, you know, but he hit he hit 14 home runs last year. He has hit six this year. He needs to learn to walk. He needs to learn to get on base. But at his age, I don't know that you can just let him walk. It's another one of those things where I, I don't know you can give a guy like that away for free, especially when he can play third, he can play short, he can play second, he can play left, he can play right, he can play center. And he can pitch, apparently. So you, you take all of that into account, and this is a guy maybe that it's a little premature to, as you say, punt on uh, when you may be giving up a pretty good player in the long term. And that's the tough thing for me when it comes to Peraza. He's always been a guy that when I watch him, I almost can't be objective about him. Like, I really want him to do well. And, like, in my fan heart, I feel like Peraza's got the ability to be a good shortstop. But on the other end of the spectrum, I think when the Reds went out and claimed Freddie Galvis, and with all of the different things that you've heard about Galvis up to this point and the hot start that he's had, he's five for six. In his, you know, his first start and his first pinch hit appearance as a Red with a home run. I think that spelled the end for Jose Peraza. Now, I don't think that they're going to cut him. I think he'll finish the season as a Red. That's They're not going to cut him or anything like that. But I think having Galvis on the team means that he is going to play one of either second or short next year. I really hope it's short. I really hope they figure something else out at second base, that maybe they give Josh Van Meter more of a shake there. I'm not really sure. But I think that this is another instance where there's just so many other options on the team. And Peraza, to this point, while he is only 25, he does have five full, well, not five full, 
three full seasons and like two, one half season, one like quarter season. So he's still got a decent amount of service time under his belt. And I think we can almost start to see what he is. He's a guy that doesn't like to take pitches and where he falls in the whole, Hey, he's got a 275 career batting average, but he also has a career OPS plus of 81. So he's 19% worse than league average. I think Peraza has a major league career ahead of him. I don't think it is as a Cincinnati Red. I think he gets non-tendered. He makes a little over $2 million right now. Through arbitration, he may get bumped up a little bit more based on his playing time, his service time, and some of his production. He hasn't had terrible production this year. In fact, he's had a couple of different hitting streaks where you start to wonder maybe he's figuring things out, and then he goes on some really bad hit list streaks that just completely kill his average. That's why he's sitting at 241. So I think that he's the guy that gets non-tendered this offseason. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think the next guy you uh, want to talk about probably has a lot of uh, a lot of impact on what happens with Peraza. We're talking about Jose Iglesias. What happens with him will determine quite a bit about who stays and who goes and who's coming in, all that different stuff. Because Jose Iglesias is a free agent this coming offseason. He does not have a team option or a player option or anything like that. He's just an outright free agent. There's been a lot of talk of, well, let's sign him to a two- or three-year deal, stuff like that. There's also been talk of he needs to not play anymore the rest of the season, and they need to give playing time to younger guys and see what they've got. I almost feel in the camp of that second uh, that second part, like, give some playing time to the other guys. We know what Iglesias is, but at the same time, whenever he's been playing, especially lately, when he's in the game, he's really productive for the Reds. So where where do you land on this? What what should the Reds do with Jose Iglesias in the offseason? Well, prior to the acquisition of Galvis, I was in the camp of giving uh, giving Iglesias a approximate two-year extension, maybe somewhere in the $3.5 million range, just because there was so much uncertainty both at the major league level and really in the farm system at the shortstop position. If you look at Iglesias's and, and not to th- and without throwing a lot of numbers out there, we'll just take OPS plus. Uh, this season he sits at 88 on OPS plus. Now his career average OPS plus is 85. So he has been slightly better this season. Uh, there were a couple stretches this season where he was really really good, and of course he brings you Gold Glove level uh, defense at shortstop. So the fact of the matter is he was brought in to be the super utility. He was brought in to be the guy that backed up the middle infield positions and that you knew when you put him out there, you were going to get tremendous defense, defensive replacement, short-term sub, and maybe you would get a little offensive production along the way. And then of course we got the scooter Jeanette injury and the Glacius came out and played a little bit over his head. Uh, I think that if you resign him, you need to resign him knowing that you're resigning a utility guy. You're not really, re-signing a two-year starting option at shortstop. You, you may be a stopgap, but not a two-year starter. So for me, 
It'll be interesting. I don't know what Dick Williams is going to do, but I know that whatever he does has tremendous impact on what happens next. Because if they sign Iglesias to a two-year deal, I have a feeling they're going to run him out there at the shortstop position, which means that Galvis is going to play second base. And that option, you know, I'm I'm really kind of against. But I need I need more data. And what I need for the Reds to do right now, today, the rest of the season, the rest of the way, uh, do not pass go, do not collect 100 bucks, whatever it is, I want Van Meter at second base every day in that lineup, barring an off day, a rest day, it needs to be Van Meter out there without question. And then at the end of the season, you have some data to really make a decision. Because right now, if if I were to take it at right now at what the stats are showing me, I want Van Meter in that job, and it's a small sample. I'm not comfortable yet giving him that spot without seeing a little bit more. So this signing, whatever they're going to do, they need to do it. They can't wait till the end of the season. Whatever's going to happen needs to happen right now. Um, there was an article on the Reds team site uh, talking about Iglesias and that he's open to signing an extension, which makes me think maybe they are opening dialogue and there are some conversations happening, but this can't wait till the end of the year. And I don't know that this is the time of year where a player would want to sign an extension. So uh, it's, it's really a question mark that impacts so many other things and who's going to have a job and who is not because the middle infield's so crowded and keeping Iglesias probably is what boils it down to Derek Dietrich getting non-tendered. I think, I think that's the trade-off. And it possibly even Peraza, depending on uh, what happens with uh, other minor league moves. I'm with you. I don't want them signing him thinking that he's going to be an everyday shortstop. I want them signing him to be a good depth piece, which is really what he was brought in to do anyway. It was just the injury to Scooter Jeanette that confused everything. And then Iglesias got out to such a, hard, uh, such a hot start to begin the season that everyone was like, well, this is why he was brought in. And it really wasn't. They just kind of put a flyer out there for a minor league deal on him, and he happened to, you know, blow up. But if they sign him thinking that they're getting a shortstop who hits 290 and a 737 OPS, uh, they're going to be sorely disappointed because these are some of the best numbers he's ever had in his career. Now, as a year where he was second in rookie of the year for the American League back in 2013 was a little bit better of a hitting season. But overall, they've got to sign him realizing he's a bench glove and not to count on the hitting. So for that reason, I, I, I almost think that they shouldn't sign him unless he's still there by the time spring training starts. But that's a really long-winded answer of saying well, I, I think but it, but, it, but it wasn't wrong. And I mean, you, you've made some great points earlier in you know, talking about statistics and wanting to see a, a good deal of separation between batting average and on-base percentage. And if you look at what Jose Iglesias is doing right now, if you take if you take that as your criteria, you know, his batting average is 290, but his on-base percentage is 321. And I think that, that it, that's not a large enough separation between the batting average and the on-base percentage. So, you know, clearly there's still some offensive work to be done, although you just look at that 290 batting average and the casual fan will say, well, he's good. Well, you know, he's not he's not a bad guy. He's not a bad player, but I think we may have better options. And I think ultimately, if, if you're correct and they don't sign him, I think that that helps a guy like Kyle Farmer because if they keep Iglesias, I think, you know, the four guys you may be looking at keeping is Iglesias, Galvez, Van Meter, and Peraza on the infield, which makes things tight for Farmer if Casali and Barnhart are both still around. 
if Iglesias is not around, it gives you a little bit more flexibility to keep a guy like Farmer who can play catcher third, second, and I think shortstop in a pinch. Uh, it creates some more roster flexibility. So I tell you what, Dick Williams has some really big decisions to make over the next six weeks. And and like I said, I don't think he can wait till the end of the season to really get moving on some of this stuff. And I'm, I'm with you. I think that's why he went out and he got Galvis at least to see if he's got a you know, kind of a safety net to fall back on in the middle infield. And what we've been saying about him all year is that we trust the direction that he's taking the Reds. We trust the direction that he is moving the front office in. And this offseason is going to be the really the ride or die offseason because they, I, I think it is fully reasonable for Reds fans, for you, me, for all of Red Leg Nation, all of that good stuff, to expect a contending team next year. Not to just hope for it. This year we hope for it. Next year, I think it is fully reasonable to expect it. But that comes from what they do in the offseason. And like you said, he's got a lot of decisions. It's not just, hey, can he pull off a magic trade here or there? He's got magic trades maybe to pull. He's got free agent deals maybe to pull. And he's got guys who are about to leave the team if he needs to decide if he wants to keep them or not. A lot going on, and it's going to be a fun offseason to monitor what the Cincinnati Reds are doing. Right, and you left out the biggest unknown in this whole deal. The biggest unknown is how much money is Bob Castellini going to give Dick Williams to play with. And right. I think that's that's the question that needs to be answered more so than anything else. What is Bob going to let Nick Kroll and Dick Williams do? Real quick, man, what do you got coming for us on the Reds Alert podcast this weekend? I've actually maybe taking a break from an interview this week, and then um, I'm currently working with uh, the next few weeks in having Doug Gray on, and I've been in talks with uh, Danny Graves on trying to find a date that works to to get him on as well. You know, we're available uh, in your podcast feed on most major podcasting uh, platforms. Uh, click the subscribe button. Make sure you uh, leave us a review, same like you do for uh, Locked on Reds. Absolutely. Steve, thanks so much, man. Always enjoy talking to you, and I hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Aloha. That'll do it for us this week here on the Lockdown Reds Podcast. Thanks so much for listening, downloading, all that good stuff. Make sure you are subscribed, subscribed, subscribed on all the different podcasting platforms. Hit us up on Twitter at Lockdown Reds and at Jeff Carr and save the Lockdown Reds line number into your phone. 513-549-0159. Hope you guys have a great weekend. I'm going to be down at the ballpark on Saturday, hopefully, to see a Reds win. And we'll be talking all about the weekend on Monday. Monday and next week we do have Wick Terrell on the show next Friday and then next Saturday going to do a special uh, live video it's not going to be like that crazy or anything like that but it's going to be a nice little question and answer session so look forward to that next Saturday thanks so much guys for listening to the Locked on Reds podcast my name is Jeff Carr and I'll talk to you guys next week Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.